welcome to episode 17 of Etc. Etc. with Young Southpaw. That's moi. Me, if you ain't got your French tongue on. Things are going well, man. I just got a great review on The Quietest for my The Lost Archimedes album. You can get it over on Bandcamp, only five bucks. And I had an excellent conversation this week with one of my favorite songwriters, Mr. Steve Kilby, for this very podcast. I've been digging Steve's new 11 Women album, which is coming out September 4th. Josephine from it is a contender for my song of the year, man. It's, it's real good. He's been doing these tunes on his weekly Instagram live show on Mondays. Great selection of songs from like his entire career. Some covers thrown in there, too. It's a rather lengthy interview today, so let's get to it. Though, I must warn you, if you've got sensitive ears, the, the C word does get dropped a couple times while relating a story, what, what someone else said. But, but now that I've warned you, let's really get to it. All right. We're here today with Mr. Steve Kilby. How you doing today, Steve? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Whoa. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I just had a swim. I just did some yoga. It's like a kind of a early, very early spring here. It's technically we're still in winter, but it's like 70 degrees and the water's kind of not that cold and had a nice swim in the sea. Excellent. What yeah. type of yoga do you do? Um, I do, um, oh God, I've forgotten the geezer's name. Um, Iyengar. I do Iyengar. Okay. It's like, it's, it's like yoga ad- adapted for Westerners so they don't hurt themselves too much. It's a kind of a mild, it's a mild form of yoga. They, they use lots of props if you do the class. Gotcha. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Well, look, I, um, I, was doing it, I was doing it every day for about 15 years and then I got this injury one day. I was getting out of the sea and I hurt my, uh, my, my ribs and I st- stupidly stopped doing it. And a friend of mine said to me the other day, Steve, this is not the time to stop doing yoga. So I'm slowly getting back into it again. But I was really, I really had a lot of, I, I was really problem free when I was doing a lot of yoga and all my friends were going, Oh, I got a bad this. I got a bad that. And I was like, we should do yoga. And then as soon as I stopped doing yoga, things started playing up. Like I got a bad neck and a bad back. So I'm getting back into it again. I'm going to, I'm determined. It's hard because it, you know, it takes up like it's an hour's fucking thing every day, but yeah. Yeah, totally. But you do feel much better after you put in the hour, I find. If you do, if you do the yoga, you will definitely feel better. Yeah. All right, so I want to get into it. When, <laughs> when I tell people I've been really into the church lately, I often have to clarify that I've been like listening to Heyday a lot or something, that I don't mean the religious institution. Now, when you tell people like what you do who they might not be into music, have you ever been like asked to like officiate a wedding or a funeral or something? Um, that's a very, by now, that's a very ho-hum sort of premise. The funniest thing that ever happened once was the, um, the church, my band, had rented a car and there had been some problem with it. And the police were coming around to find out and they knocked on the door and they said, who are you, mate? I said, I'm Steve Kilby. What do you do? And I said, I'm in the church. And they said, 
we're in the police. But not <laughs> it wasn't the band. Yeah. Not the band. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Uh, not That doesn't happen so much anymore, uh, that little bit of confusion. Because um, I was thinking, yeah. I mean, you've had such a long and varied career, it might just be easier to perform the religious rites than go into every solo album you've made in collaboration. It might be easier to what? To just go ahead and perform the religious rites instead of, you know, explaining every you know, record you've ever made. You've done so much by now. Yeah, it might be. Where's that question going? Where's that? What am I supposed to do with that? Just yeah. observation. I could get a job. I could get a job in the clergy um, easily. Um, I probably, I'm probably know more about comparative theology than most fucking preachers would anyway. So yeah, I could, I could get a, easily get a job preaching to the converted. Now you recently did a show of the first four church albums acoustic, which is crazy. I mean, that's a lot of music, but not yeah. only did you do one set, you did two sets of one night. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. how, how did that go? I had very sore throat and fingers when it was all over. <laughs> um, and um, I talked too much and which was, I realized I only really, I had, 80 minutes of music to perform in 90 minutes of time. And I worked out that gave me 30 seconds per song or something. And I, I talked too much and I got out of playing some of the songs, which I thought was really good. <laughs> and people writing, people are fucking writing to me now going, Hey, what about those four songs you didn't get around to playing? I want to hear them. I'm like, what do you want me to do? hold a gig and play the four songs that you didn't hear the other night. Imagine that. Steve Kilby plays the four songs you didn't hear the other night. Well, you could, you could extend your banter and just make it a full 90-minute Just show. one. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, you know, not being a clergyman, I'd just be better off to be a comedian, I think. Um, I saw it was, yeah, banter. banter. I like that bantering more than playing the guitar for sure. <laughs> It's much easier. Easier on the fingers and throat. Mm. Now, you've been doing these Instagram shows every Monday, too. How are you finding those? I mean, it's a great selection of songs. Um, it's a lifesaver. Um, it really has saved my neck financially to do those shows. Um, I don't know what I would have done. It was all accidental as well, you know. I didn't even know there was that feature on Instagram where you could play live and the, the uh, I was doing this sort of promo tour around Sydney with this Australian singer and she said, oh, smile, Steve, you're on live. And I said, how are you doing that? She said, I'll show you afterwards. And she showed me. And then like, a couple of nights later, I was sitting there feeling kind of like everything was closed down and feeling like I needed my fix of applause and, you know, someone to show off to. And I thought, fuck it, I'll just go on Instagram live and play the guitar for a while. And it kind of became a bit of a uh, feature. So I've been doing it every, almost every Monday night now. I, I sort of do it. And uh, some very generous people have helped out with money. And um, it's also, you know, given me, uh, you know, it, I've gotten much better on playing the acoustic guitar, that's for sure, than I used to be. Um, so, you know, it hasn't worked out too badly. You've been in 12 string too, which hurts the fingers. 
hurt it it really does i have these like you get you get these calluses on your fingers and then you get these train tracks through the calluses mm. um playing that fucking 12 string but and i'm sitting standing here looking at it right now it's 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 lined up and ready to go nice now, in one of these shows, you uh, started out quoting Mark Boland saying that a song is a spell, which I totally get just instinctively. I mean, you listen to like Metal Guru or Till Dawn, it just, it takes you someplace. What songs are like that for you? Um, well, um, um, I think, I think Boland's songs have stopped being spells by Metal Guru. I, I saw like early to mid period, um, um, you know, which particular songs are, uh, you know, like Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowland, for example, or um, um, anything off um, All Things Must Pass or anything off um, Diamond Dogs. Mm. Uh, and, you know, a, a song that sort of, it sort of, it sends you somewhere, puts you somewhere else. It makes you... You know, with very little information, just a few chords, you sort of something happens, some sort of very hits some sort of pleasure spot in you that nothing else, even films and paintings and ballets and sculptures, nothing can do it quite the way a spell can. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. sorry. It's very immediate with the song in a way well it's very immediate it's very immediate in three minutes you can do what it would take you you know two day two weeks with a book or three hours with a film you can place as you can hear a song and within three minutes you have been transported to that to that place where you want to go um sorry someone keeps trying to ring me um Uh. So yeah, that, that's the that's the magic of a song is is it's so short and so easy, and yet it does so much so quickly. Have you ever set out to like write a song to make a specific intention materialize, like like a spell? Well, all my songs are trying to be spells. All of my all of my songs are trying to take the listener somewhere, um, but it's an ambiguous place that I'm trying to take them to. It's not, you know, I'm not, it, you know, I'm not ranting against, you know, I'm not raging against the machine. I'm not protesting or writing songs about Maggie Thatcher or Donald Trump or the Vietnam War or whatever it is. My songs aren't like that. My songs are sort of like, they're more just songs for all, for all, all seasons and all people, sort of like trying to be ambiguous enough that anybody who hears them can get something out of them. So. More, my, my songs are more like a firing arrows into a crowd and you don't know who you're going to hit or what it's going to do. Um, I'm sort of doing that. I, I'm not sure where they're going to take you or what they're going to do. But, I, you know, obviously people are, are getting that kind of thing off them because they keep coming back for more. Yeah, and it'll be a different experience with each individual. I like that. Let's talk about 11 women. Where did this idea come from? I've had this idea for a while. Um, uh, Each song is a woman. Um, And it's like a... 
it's like a book of photos or something. Um, so when I was doing the Instagram, I got sick of doing the, you know, like oh, this week I'm going to do this album, this week I'm going to do that album, this week. And the albums were starting to get complicated and I'd spend all fucking week trying to figure out how I was going to play them. I thought it'd be easier just to write a brand new album. And I cavalierly boasted that when I wrote the album, I would just throw throw the songs away after I played them and then I became too attached to them. So I went into a recording studio and recorded them all. So it's become an album now. It was going to be 10 women. I, I wrote one um, after the period had ended. So it's 11 women and it's now become an album and I've it's going to come out on the 4th of September. I'm really happy with it. It's very, uh, very spontaneous kind of record. It's unlike the church, which seems to, the church when they record now seems to take forever and sort of committees weighing in and voting and listening and going back and doing this and moving this around and blah, blah, blah. It's sort of like 11 women is the opposite of that. It's like me going in with an acoustic guitar and a drummer and we're playing the songs through and then I put some bass on and then some other musicians did a bit of stuff. It's very spontaneous and lively record. I, I'm going back to how I think records should be made. I, I'm really, I'm really di- um, not, I'm very disenchanted with sort of records that are all made on Pro Tools and, you know, sampling and moving things around and correcting things and all of that. I'm still moving back towards sort of spontaneous recording. In my old age, I'm, I, I, I want you know, I, you know, when it got to forty-eight track recording uh, back in the eighties, you know, that just seemed wow, forty-eight tracks, and I don't know, I've kind of come right back around again to sort of just less is more, and you know, just a couple of acoustic guitars, a bass. Uh, one electric guitar, a piano, one or two vocals. You know, I'm tired of all the layering stuff up and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, I think in the first Instagram show you did, you'd covered, uh, I mean, you covered it many times before, Caroline Says. Was that an inspiration in this at all? I've always liked that. Strange enough, I listened to Berlin last night when I was painting. Um, I really like Caroline Says. Um, it, that song's always been an inspiration, especially when, when, she, when she says, um, you, can hit, you can beat me all you want to, but I don't love you anymore. Right there is just so much incredible information and, and combined with the music, you know, yeah. The way the music is and the way Lou sings it is just so much um, about men and women in that one line. And that, that's why Lou Reed's fucking a genius for coming up with that kind of stuff. That's the sort of stuff you're always looking for. Um, it's just beautiful. The way he just grabs so much of life and puts it in that one line about that relationship of this, you know, I love that song. I, I've, been playing, I've been playing that on and off for years. People always tell me I get the chords wrong, so I've been a bit wary. Um, <laughs> but Lou, Lou's pretty easy. I could easily do a Lou Reed, like if someone said, do a Lou Reed night and play any Lou Reed songs, easily done. His songs are pretty simple, 
you know mm. doing a david bowie night's a lot harder because his songs were a lot harder to sing and a lot harder to play but lou reed lou reed's pretty simple but very very effective yeah so let's talk about some of the songs on 11 women my favorite is josephine i mean it's, it's just a lovely song it's one of my favorite songs i've heard this year Again, it's very, it seems very simple chord-wise, but very effective, and it's just, you know, it gets you. Yeah. Um, you know, one morning I just woke up and I thought, you know, normally I write the music first and then I put the words on, and then I, I just woke up one morning and when I was going to write, you know, 11 women, I gave myself a week, and one morning I got up and went, I'm just going to write the words first. And... It was all, I wrote the words, took about five minutes, and then I put, set them to music. It was all over within 10 minutes, and there was a song. And people who have heard the song say, it sounds like a song that's always existed, which I think is a, is a marvellous thing to pull off, to write, to do something that sounds like it has always been there, and like how was there a time when, before you heard this song? It's like the first time I heard Starman, by David Bowie. It's like, why didn't somebody write this song before? Josephine sort of is kind of got a bit of that going for it. Sounds like a song Dylan or someone should have written but never did. There's yeah. got to be there's got to be another ten million Josephines in my head. You know, it, I've just got to pull them all out. It was definitely that familiar feeling that I just couldn't quite place you know I couldn't yeah there wasn't a direct reference to anything but it, it did felt exactly like you said yeah yeah wait long. wait to hear the recorded version with the you know the drums and there's um hurdy-gurdy on it an organ and piano and it really it kind of builds and builds um I'm very happy a lot of people really like that song excellent yeah it's great you mentioned tarot cards in the lyrics. Uh, yeah. You, you had that tarot deck that uh, Mark Merrill did I do. your um, earlier. Yeah. Um, I do. I, look, I do. I did. Um, a guy recontextualized a load of my paintings and a load of my lyrics into, a, into his own tarot deck or into a tarot deck called the Tarot of the Time Being. Um, I did all the paintings and I did write all the lyrics but um, the actual tarot, I don't really, I don't really use tarot cards. I, I mean, I've had tarot readings and stuff. I'm not really that sort of au fait with tarot, and I'm not really sure how much I believe in it. Um, so I was happy that the guy did it, and the tarot cards came out, and people really liked the deck but I can't really claim it as my own. It was like a guy took all my bits and pieces and put it together and made the tarot deck. And it was a weird tarot deck. It was, had different, had weird names for some of the things, you know, that weren't in regular tarot cards. I never, I don't, I, you know, I don't really put much store in, in that sort okay. of that way of predicting the future. Um, so. But there's another tune on 11 women references cards, Queen of Spades. Yeah, there you go. Um, there's a game. There's a game called Hearts. Yeah. Have you ever played that game? Yes. And the object is not to get caught with the Queen of Spades. The Queen of the, I, I, I haven't played it for a while. Um, it had some other had a very nasty, rude name in Australia. People used to call it Hunt the Cunt. 
because um, the Queen of Spades was presumably the cunt. Um, hope that isn't too much bad language for your podcast. I think we'll be um, okay. Uh, you can, uh, I, I didn't want to say that, but um, that's just what they, in Australia, these guys, I used to play when I was working and a bunch of guys, and, and the idea was not to get caught with the Queen of Spades. And it was like when you got it, it was like, oh, no, I've got, now I've got the It was very hard to get, out, get rid of it out of your hand once you yeah. had it. And if you had it, you would lose the game. So, um, yeah, there's a, it's, she's one of the 11 women. There's Birdine, who's a bird. Um, and some of the women are real and some of them are imaginary. And, yeah, Doris um, McAllister was an actual witch, right? Doris McAllister, mm, kind of yes and no. I saw bass, I based it, but it's like, it, the song is about this man who upsets her. It's not about that she's, it's like this guy sees her and he, un, he underestimates her and he sort of, he's, he annoys her and is rude to him uh, and gets her back up and then he lives to regret that. So, but there was no, there is no real Doris McAllister, but she's a sort of a composite of people I've known and met. You know, people, people you, you might un underestimate on first sighting or not knowing much about them and then you piss them off and then you realise they had more, there was more going on than you thought. Gotcha. Now, Lillian in Cerulean Blue, lovely phrase for the title. Um, yeah. When, when do titles come into the writing process for you? Um, well, um, one morning, my girlfriend here got up and said, um, uh, there's a ghost in this house and her name's Lillian. And um, I went, oh, wow. She said, yeah, her name's Lillian. And I said, okay. And then um, I sort of wrote a little song about that, I guess. Um, and Cerulean Blue, I'm a bit of a painter as well. And that's one of the colours you come across all the time. So it just also, you know, you just, you just sort of grab fucking elements from everywhere, you know, Lillian the Ghost, painting Cerulean Blue, and then, you know, you write the song and it all comes out and it sort of all falls together and it, sort of, it makes some sort of vague sense. But that's, you know, that's what I was saying to somebody else doing the interview. The wonderful thing about a song, if you write a book or if you write an article or anything else you do, it sort of has to make sense, like a film or, you know, somehow. But songs don't have to make sense. You, know, you can say whatever you like. You can start, you can go on stage and go, you know, I shot a man just to watch him die. And no one goes, what? No, you didn't. You know what I mean? Or you can go, you know, I, I must have loved a million girls. I love them and I leave them behind. And nobody goes, excuse me, you haven't loved a million girls, you know? Or you can go, you know, my daddy was a bank robber. You can. You can say or sing anything. You can, you can pull in anything. You can, you know, you can be anything. You can change person. The song can start out I and then the chorus can be you and the next verse can be they. Um, you can be in the future and the past and everything can change. And, but nobody ever asks why because songs don't come with any explanations. They don't need any explanations. They just sort of lay it all on you in their four or three or four or five minutes and you extrapolate from them what you will there are there are no explanations you know you just sort of you kind of you've got to learn to sort of dig it um 
It's like Dylan. Um, you know, we uh, teachers used to bring in Dylan lyrics and say, we're going to look at these lyrics and it means this and it means this and it means this. And I was always rebelling against that. I was always, this voice inside said, no, you just sort of let it wash over you and you dig it however you like. Like Shakespeare or, or any, any poetry or any art, you just sort of dig it or you don't dig it. You don't, don't try and find all that fucking bullshit that isn't really there because Dylan wasn't right going, oh, I'm going to write this song, this line here with alliteration and, you know, rhetoric and blah, 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 referring back to man's basic inhumanity to man. I don't believe artists work like that. I believe they're like me. They just all go, i got this feeling this could be a good line. And the line comes out and then the next line comes out. And, and when you hear it, you dig it or you don't. You let it wash over you or you don't. But still trying to pull it all apart. And, you know, that's, I remember I, I got in a lot of trouble on us. I was doing this songwriting course and they, they, they gave me this sheet to teach kids to write songs and said, you've got to teach kids the rhyming schemes, A, B, A, B, C, C. You know, you've heard all of that, how... Oh yeah, you know, and, and I went. Songwriters don't do this. Nope. <laughs> this is like this is like what a grammatician does. A grammatician goes through a a, a, a paragraph and says, "Oh, this is the the object, and this is a subject, and this is a clause, and this is." But songwriters don't. Bob Dylan doesn't sit down going, "I'm going to have an A B A B A C A C rhyming scheme." It's something that's done post when someone. I said, why teach kids that? Why, why, why should kids be trying to write a song that goes A, B, A? It's like, don't forget all that. Throw all that away. Write what you feel. And then the rhymes, you know, I, a lot of my songs, I just rhyme. You might have eight rhymes in one line and then no more rhymes. Um, song, you know, the, the rules, there are no real rules. And it, it, when you're trying to get kids to analyze what lyrics mean and uh, and sort of all of these things, I think you're throwing them off on the wrong on the wrong on the wrong foot. Yeah. And I think songs, as Boland said, you just let them fucking do their work. I'll hit you in the heart, I hit you in the head, or in the crutch or the feet, wherever. And that's the wonderful thing about them. You don't have to don't overthink it, you know. Which brings me to uh, my other favorite song that I've heard so far is uh, Shiba Chiba. Shiba Chiba. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Sorry, go on. Well, okay, well, um, Queen of Sheba and Chiba in my old heroin days when you're walking around Los Angeles. Yeah. Chiba's what the Mexican guys used to call it. Chiba, Chiba. You, know, you go after a guy, hey, man, you've seen Chiba. Yeah, yeah, you come with me, man. You know, Chiba's heroin. Oh. Um, so I, I like the idea of, of um, combining the, you know, the Queen of Sheba and the Mexican word for heroin. It rhymes, <laughs> hey, make up a song about Sheba Chiba. What were her adventures? And then in the middle of you talking about Sheba Chiba and then the song, but... You could, if you did this in anything else, in any other art form, people go, well, how does that work? But in the middle of Sheba Chiba, the singer stops singing about Sheba Chiba and says, but it was nice, nice of you to invite me here. And that's what I love about songs. There's nothing that, that, what does that bit have to do with Sheba Chiba? 
Um, it's sort of like a, it's, it's the way life works. It's the way you have a conversation with people. You just pull different things out of the air and you digress. And, um, you know, you're telling someone about Sheba Chiba and then you go, but it was nice of you to invite me here, you know, regardless of whatever she does or doesn't do. Um, you can't, in other art forms, you just can't do that, you know? Mm. Uh, songs are the only things I, I know of it where you can just jump from one thing to other. Um, and, and people sort of do the work and understand that, you know? And I think that's a, that's a great thing, the way they can just jump from one thing to another without any explanation. Like thoughts, like falling asleep. As you fall asleep and you go into the hypnagogic state, and f- f- thoughts and dreams, they kind of merge and, uh, and they flow and they ebb. And, you know, one minute you're walking along with your mother and the next minute you're walking along with your sister and the next minute you're walking along with a stranger. And all these things happen, but you don't wonder at that. You just go, it's all just happening and you just accept it. That's, that, that's what I want to do with songs, to truly break through to that, that sort of hypnagogic state where... Every, all the music and the words, everything, it's just a flow of, of um, kind of thoughts that uh, they're not completely random. If, if you go too random, then you get meaninglessness. You don't want that. You don't want people to go, oh, this is no meaning in this. You sort of want to, you've got to have this, uh, and it's a very subtle thing, and um, only the really great songwriters understand that. There's a way, these subtle threads that keep, keep you interested in a, in a song even though it seems on the surface superficially it seems like there's not no thread there is a kind of some kind of internal thread that the listener will sort of grasp and make it'll make you feel good that you you're sort of in on it people go people write to me and go your songs make you feel like i'm in on something and that that's because you're sort of you're sort of grokking it you know it's yeah yeah uh, Shiba Chiba was kind of reminding me of like a Bolin rhyme as well. Just oh, the- yeah, of course. Um, Mark Bolin and David Bowie and Bob Dylan and the Beatles are never far from any of my songs. Like um, someone, I, I, played, I played 11 Women to, to a girl that came around the other day and she said, wow, it's really Mark Bolin. I go, yeah, of course it is. Awesome. Um, that's but hopefully the good part of Mark Boland, not the bad part. Because so in my opinion, Boland went really badly off the rails and is, an, is a spectacular example of what not to do. He sort of, um, he was really writing these beautifully ambiguous, wonderful sort of songs and they became really famous and it all went to his head and he started just making up nonsense, you know, like, like he, 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 Instead of, instead of dr- having this sort of ambiguous dream-like hypnagogic stuff, he was just making up nursery rhymes and nonsense. Like hot You love. know, like um, <laughs> uh, the last album I ever bought of his, there was a line, Uncle Bimbo drank up the Sea of Galilee and like a fool he promised it all to me. And I went, when I heard that line, I went, you've lost it, Mark. I don't want to hear that anymore. And there was David Bowie putting out a lad insane mm. and I'm like, well, I really, it really hurts me to do this, but David Bowie is now my main man. And sorry, Mark. 
uh, and I, I felt like Boland had lost it. Later on, I read he was heavily into cocaine and heavily into drinking a lot of red wine and snorting a lot of coke. And he kind of, he lost his, he lost his mojo where the cocaine worked for Bowie, but for Boland it didn't. It just made him sort of eager to, and he thought, oh, I can just do anything. And you can never, you can't. No one, not John Lennon, not Boland, not me, no one can just do anything. You can't just give them anything. They're not, they're going to, they mightn't be able to analyse it and go, the reason I don't like this anymore is because of this, but somewhere in them they will rebel and go, no, he's just making shit up, you know? And you can't, it's just not, songwriting isn't just anything. It's got to have something. You've got to be right. It's a very fine line between telling people, you know, Donald Trump is a really bad man writing a song. Donald Trump is a really bad man. Okay, no one wants that. But nor does anybody want Uncle Bimbo drank up the Sea of Galilee. Somewhere in the middle is this sweet spot where things have meaning and things are ambiguous and the listener will put it all together and go, wow, and have a revelation in their heart. It can't just be anything, but nor can it be too specific. That And there is the line to walk. That's the line I try and walk with my songs. Yes. And it's kind of an indefinable thing. You know it when you have it. The indefinable thing. But you know it when you find it. And when you hear, when you heard Josephine and when you heard Sheba Sheba and you go, oh. And you sort of, it sort of goes, oh, I know some, I I can feel it. You can feel the song. You can, you kind of there suddenly you think about the Josephine that you know, or the Sheba Chiba you've met, or you could imagine, or, or sort of like a glimpse of this life, of this imaginary person comes through and you say there's this connection and you feel good. But I don't know how that works. Um, I still don't know how music, I don't know, I don't know how, why, how it works. You know, I can, I can play the, the, the guitar, I can play the bass, I can write lyrics, I, can, I know how studios work and harmonies and, you know, a bit about orchestration. I can play a bit of piano and all of this stuff and I can analyse it. But when it gets right down to the bottom, why something works and is so successful and why something else doesn't work, um, it's, a very, it's very hard to say why a, a, a combination of chords and melody and lyrics, but when you hit it, you know you hit it and then people know you've hit it. It's sort of like, it's like the, the clouds shift and the sun comes shining into, into your sort of heart and mind. But it's, it's a very hard thing to define and figure out. I remember I went in about 10 years ago, I went into an interview and I sat down and the, the woman said, so you're a songwriter? And I went, yeah. And she said, what is a song? And I was immediately baffled. It's like, what is a, what is a song? You know what? I mean, obviously we know what a song is, but why? Imagine explaining to an alien or or someone who was had always been deaf what this is. It's like a combination of words and chords and melody that has a pleasurable effect upon you for some reason. Like that's the artistry of the whole thing, but it's very hard to figure out why it works. And that's why I feel like, these songwriting workshops, they're doomed. Like, 
if you're a songwriter, you don't go to a fucking songwriting workshop. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't want to go to a songwriting workshop. I, I could feel I had songs inside me. No one could te- no one could have ever taught me how to write the songs I've written. Mm. Um, and I don't think, you know, I don't think brilliant songwriters go to classes to learn how to do it. Um, I think they just do it. And then people who don't have a clue go along and listen to some idiot go, the song should be written with an A, B, A, C rhyming scheme and should resolve on major, you know, all that stuff. I, I don't believe in that. Mm. I think, I think it's, it's, it's still, songwriting is still a maverick thing that only certain people are ever going to be able to do and it's sort of like a vocation. I mean, I remember the guys in the church bitching and bitching, oh, why do you, you know, you earn all the money from publishing and, you know, um, you know, because you're a songwriter. Uh, but we put all this, you know, but, but, I, but songwriting was a vocation for me. I didn't write songs to make money. I didn't write songs to get publishing. Uh, you know, I, as soon as I was born, I was listening to music and a voice in my head said, you've got to be a songwriter. That's, it was a vocation, something I've been studying my whole life whether I knew I was studying or not. I was sitting there in my room listening with, rec- you know, with a single playing it 50 times, trying to figure out in my own naive, when I was a boy, trying to figure out why did I like it? What was, what was it about it that was, was, was so appealing? Um, so song, songwriting really is a vocation. It's not something you just, um, you just sort of do uh, to make money or, or, you know, um, and you see a lot of people, there've been a lot of solo albums by different people um, who aren't really songwriters. And you look at it and go, yeah, you got no fucking idea. You're the greatest guitarist in the world, but you can't put one song together, which is just C, F and G and a meaningful lyric, which is all Josephine is, you know, it's just the same on C, F, G and A minor that we've always had all those songs are based on. But, I'm a songwriter. I can, I can take those ordinary things and make something that is meaningful. But it's taken me a long time to be able to do that. You know, you can't, it's not, just, it's not that easy. Um, and you see a lot of people don't know, they've got nothing to write songs about. They don't even, they, they, they can play, play all drums and all that shit, but they don't know what to write about. They don't know how to reach, you know, it's this, being a songwriter isn't the same thing as being a musician. You know, there's mm. being a songwriter and there's being a musician and they're not necessarily the same things. You can be a fucking great songwriter, which I am, not that great a musician, or you can be a great musician and not such a great songwriter. Of course there are people who are both, who are great and there are people who aren't good at anything. <laughs> um, it's, all, it's all kind of a, a, an admixture of, of what you can do. But I only became a musician so I could write songs. If I could have gotten away with it, but, you know, I needed to be able to actually communicate and figure out. So I had to, I had to learn to be a musician. Do you remember the first song you wrote where you were just like, yeah. this is it? Like, I've got oh, it. Oh, the first I song. I can do it. Um, okay. The f- there's a song on the church on the first church album called Chrome Injury, mm-hmm. and I wrote it in about 1977 or 78. And I remember I was I was writing a lot of songs and recording them in my home studio. And I remember when I had 
When I had that, and I thought, finally, after all these years, you finally nailed a sort of a, a real song. Um, but it took me a long time. Some people, it's weird. You look at it. There was a group called the EM, EMF, and their first song they ever wrote was number one. It's like, you're unbelievable. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That was the first <laughs> song they ever wrote. How fucking weird that the first song you write becomes a number one. Then you don't know what to do after that. That can really derail you. Um, but so it took me a long time. I had to write a lot of fucking awful songs before I wrote a good one. But then, you know, my sort of arc is like going up like that, I think, all the time. My songs are getting better and better. You know, some people go start off here and go immediately down. Some people plateau. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, you look at Paul McCartney and, uh, you know, why, why does he write songs like, um, you know, no more lonely nights, and um, Mary had a little lamb. Like, why? Why does he waste his time when he can when he can summon such beauty and um, an amazing something like the long and winding road? Like, fucking most beautiful. Why? Why does he fuck around with all those stupid novelty songs? I don't know. <laughs> but you, you know. And there's another thing. Do you judge people on their their latest work or do you only judge them on their early work you know people come up and go oh, i i only like john lennon i don't you know i don't think much of paul mccartney i'm like are you fucking kidding me like McC mccartney's like you know it's very very in fashion to say that i only like lennon stuff i don't like mccartney but they they were equals you know they both they were both pushing the envelope they both came up with amazing stuff and when it was all over to us, both of them wrote a bit of rubbish, in my opinion, but, but especially McCartney, you know, sort of, um, he didn't come up, I don't know what it was, he, but still in his solo career, there's been a few fucking brilliant moments, like Maybe I'm Amazed, for example. I like Junior's Farm. That's a great song, just as a pop song. Um, but, you know, some of that, uh, that Wingsy stuff really, I don't know why he was sodding around with that, but. When you're McC Paul McCartney, you do whatever the fuck you like. <laughs> the other song on 11 Women I want to ask you about, Where Gloria Meets Rachel. Now, yeah. those are the two main characters in Martin Amos's The Rachel Papers. Is that where that comes from? No, I didn't know that. That's weird. Yeah, they're both his girlfriends. I, I, there were two characters, Gloria and Rachel. Yep. Um. All right, and then Lou Reed had a wife called Gloria, I believe, and then he started going out with this sort of transitioning person called Rachel. Um, it was oh. a kind of a private, it was a sort of a private joke, um, and it turned into that song, and it's got nothing to do with anything else at all. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, but I'm, that's really weird. That is a weird thing, and people are going to think that about um i didn't know that i've read a lot of martin amos's stuff which one was which book was that in the racial papers the first the racial papers i'll yeah. have to check that out that's a good one have you ever uh considered writing a novel i mean you've written so many lyrics well you see you see that's the problem is that i'm a lyricist hmm. and I don't have the sustained vision for a novel because a novel has to start here 
and it has to have protagonists and antagonists, and it has to have action and resolution and the climax and the denouement and all the stuff in between. And that's it. I'm, I'm not good at that. I'm, I'm good at just, you know, like I, I'm, a, I'm a lyricist. I'm, I'm not a novelist. And like you, you can't said. be good at everything. And it's really funny. Um, I, I was, uh, there's a, a guy who was, we were Skyping and he was a novelist. And I said, you're such a fucking great novelist. Why don't you write some lyrics? And then when he wrote lyrics, they were, I was like, boy, all those, all those words you have at your disposal and that's what you come up with as lyrics. It was really, um, it was really disappointing. Uh. Um, it, the, 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 I, I've really specialised in being a lyricist, a bit of a poet as well, I guess. A bit of a, I could be a bit of a journalist. I can write articles on music. When it comes to a whole fucking book, a sustained, sustainable story where this happens and that happens and that happens and that happens, it just seems like too much work for me. And, like, at the end of it all, I could give you more pleasure with Sheba Chiba, which yep. took three minutes. <laughs> and takes three minutes. You know, like, the other thing, you write a book and a friend comes over and go, hey, I've written a book. And they go, yeah, could you read my book and tell me? You know, someone's got to commit to three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and how, are they even going to read it? Whereas with a song, it's all there. It's like, hey, you want to hear my song? Yes. Three minutes, bang, there's the song. What do you think? Yeah, I love it. Or it's, it's no good. But, like, writing a novel, it's, like, so much more planned and has to make so much it's so much more of a left-brained thing i'm more so mercurial i get sick of I, if i haven't written a song seriously i'm not just saying if i if, if i sit down to write a song and i haven't written it in 15 minutes i'm fucking over it it's like well wow, that's too much trouble wow 15 minutes that's all i want to spend you know like and it happens immediately i'll, I'll smoke a joint i go strum strum here come the words, bang, it's all over. Someone could walk in 10 minutes later and go, here's my song. I just wrote it. I, I don't, there's no songs that, you know, I agonise over for weeks or even hours. It all has to, all, all those songs on 11 Women, they all were written within five minutes. That's amazing. But it, well, it speaks to yeah. the immediacy of pop music though. I mean, that's what it is. It's three minutes. It is, it, it is immediate. It is immediate, but it, it's still as I, I have it's still cautionary. It can't be meaningless. Mm. You can't just write a, if you write something that's meaningless in five minutes, what's the point in that? Yeah. Oh great. You came up with something meaningless in five minutes or a year. Who cares? But it's like I'm sort of like there's one good thing about getting old, just before you lose it all. <laughs> and I'm I'm right at that spot now. I'm like the doctor. The doctor who you go in and you go, oh, I've got this. And he knows because he's been a doctor so long. Or, or a jeweler. You go in and you go, I've got this dime, this bit of gold. And he knows exactly what to do. Or the guy, the carpenter come, comes round. Or the guy, when your car breaks down, the guy comes up. And he's the old guy and he listens to your car and he goes, it's the blah, 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 and the blah, 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 and the blah, blah, blah. Because he's been doing it so long, he understands. So I've reached that point with songs now. It's like... I understand, I understand how to write them and I understand what's good and what's bad and I've, I, I've got cut all the corners and um, it's because I've been doing it so long and so 
I persevered so much. I persevered and persevered and persevered and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And, and, and it's paid off now. Like just before I either die or lose my mind, like my mother did and get Alzheimer's or whatever, at this age, at 65, it's like I'm right on the top of my game. I've got all this experience. I still look, can think lucidly. And I, I've got, you know, 50 years of playing at my fingertips and all the songs I've listened to and analysed, I can sort of pull it all in now. And um, You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's like just before I fade off into my sunset, for these last few years, I'm sort of, I consider myself a master songwriter. You know, I'm, you know, I could write 10 good songs every day if I fucking wanted to. It would be easy. I don't think I don't disagree with that. <laughs> you've, uh, you've mentioned too that you have a, a new album ready with uh, Martin Kennedy. That's a, a concept yep. record. It's kind of a concept. Yeah. It's a sort of, once again, it's a sort of a, it's a concept with no concept. It's sort of like we're giving you more, we're giving, instead of, you know, there's, there's concept albums that are like Tommy. It's about a deaf, dumb and blind boy. Here are his adventures. This is what's happened in the end. And then there's concept albums sort of like Dark Side of the Moon where you're given a kind of a, a sort of a general concept. But, mm. And this, this one is like, at the loosest, loosest end of the idea of a concept, there's this, there's the concept of Jupiter 13, whatever that was. There's this thing, Jupiter 13. Some of the songs are about Jupiter 13. Some of the songs aren't about Jupiter 13. And you sort of, it will all be thrown together and Martin will mix it and we'll sort of, there'll be a concept there if you want it. If you want to, if you want to connect up the dots, it's up to you um or not or you can just listen to it just as song by song that have no relationships to the others it's just a very very loose concept a concept that's so loose and subtle that even trying to describe it you would destroy it you know what i mean if you yeah. said to people this is what the concept loosely is you would already destroy it for them so i like the idea they buy this album jupiter 13 there was something called Jupiter 13. Something happened with Jupiter 13. But what was Jupiter 13? What, what is it? What did it mean? I, I, it never really says. It's sort of like, it's like I, I'm creating some ideas for you to play around with. And in your mind, if you want to, you can put it all together and figure out what it, what it is in your own way. It's sort of like a it's like a story that can be whatever you want it to be or no story at all. Just read a page, you know, um, uh, just ambiguity, giving people a little bit of guidance, uh, just a few clues. And then they do all the work themselves. I think it's, it's a kind of a enjoyable idea. Mm. Yeah. They can make it whatever they want to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then give you the credit. That, that, <laughs> Someone will listen to him and go, wow, Steve Kilby and Mark Kenny, Jupiter 13. I, you know, it's this thing happened with Jupiter. But what was it? I don't know. But, you know, people who really want to find it will find it. And then they'll credit me and Martin with that. When we, it, you know, we just, we just provided the door for them to enter Jupiter 13. Nice. And when, when's that coming out? Or is that? That will be 2021. 
Okay. Yeah. So what else is the future holding right now for the rest of the year? Um, I've been doing some acting and some really crazy movies that are kind of like the way I write songs that um, we're sort of like getting a bunch of people together and getting them in in situations and then seeing what happens. Um, So I've I've, I've just done one. I've got another one of them coming up. Uh, The Church have made an album, um, which is sort of uh, laboriously coming along. It's going to be a brilliant album. It's got a, had a lot of work done on it. Um, it's the complete opposite of um, 11 women. It's like a real, you know, everybody weighing in and everything's got to be this and that. And that, that's another approach, and that's a very valid approach um, to have this sort of the way, I guess, Pink Floyd would concoct an album with a lot of work and a lot of thought and a lot of overdubs and changing stuff and reassessment. Um, we're working on another ancient album with Gareth Koch and some other players, like the idea of um, sort of like um, accessing my past lives in other, when I lived in other lives in other times and letting that person speak through rock and roll. Wow. You know, like, um, you know, the time I was a slave in Rome, um, maybe I was, you know, I worked for a senator and I let that person inside me because we've all lived, I believe we've all lived many, 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 many times. And they're just like, you can't, you can't really remember your other lives. You can under hypnosis and I have, but they're all in there bubbling up if you can just get your mind out of the way. We write some music and I let these people come out and, and sing about the things that happened to them in the ancient world, which remains a source of fascination for me. The ancient world, I, I think the ancient world is far more interesting to me than fucking space and the future and, you know, going out in the space and picking up an alien spore. That mm. doesn't interest me. But, you know, the Trojan War fucking interests me plenty and the gods and the goddesses and the, the titans and the nymphs and the, and the naiads and the dryads and the spirits and, and, you know, Krishna and Jesus and Buddha, all these people. I, it's just endless, the, you know, the inspiration I can find there. So with Gareth Koch, with his sort of classical chops, and me derailing that and going, Gareth, don't do it like that. You know, the ancients wouldn't have played it like, he's sort of in medieval, he's sort of like a medieval player. And, you know, we made our first album, it was a lot of kind of like, alas, my love, you do me wrong. And I said, Gareth, you know, medieval isn't really my period. And he said, what's your period? And I'm like, ancient, antiquity. And he said, but nobody really knows what that music was like. And I said, no, but we can, we're going to reimagine it. So that's what, we, that's what Gareth and I are doing. We've picked up two other players now, a keyboard player and drummer. We are reimagining sort of the music of antiquity in a kind of a sort of a rock and roll sense. Wow. That sounds like a real heavy experience letting that speak. Well, it, it's, yeah, well, we did our first show um, and people loved it. And I also... So between the songs, I, I sort of go into a bit of a trance and I tell the stories of 
who I was. I let that person speak to the audience and then we start and then the song starts up and the songs are all, I mean, you know, the ancient world wasn't a lot of fun all the time, you know, it wasn't, um, uh, uh, it's really funny. A, a woman wrote to me and said, I came and saw your show. It wasn't very upbeat. I'm like, no kidding. You know, um, it wasn't, you know, the, the, the ancient world wasn't a very upbeat place. You know, if you're looking for upbeat, don't study ancient history. It wasn't top 40 pop music. Yeah. So, but still to, to, to present all of this stuff, um, to present, to present it all in an interesting and entertaining way, not in a highbrow sort of way, you know, like people have turned off, you know, you say to me, you just go to a dinner conversation and go, Hey, what, you know, what do you think of the Phoenicians? And, you know, what, what did you, which, which was your favorite? You know, did you like Rome when it was the empire or the Republic or, you know, people, it's like you, you, you'd be better off, you know, that's, that's a real conversation killer. But I'm trying to, I'm, and I've got clues from this from Mark Boland and Dylan. Sometimes they would allude. So they, this idea of reconciling this ancient world and the people in it and the gods and the goddesses and the way that people thought, reconciling it with the with modern world and um, and the and translating. I mean, obviously, I can't play a fucking lyre or a, or a you know one of those pan flutes, and I, that's beyond me. I can play a bass guitar and an acoustic guitar and I can write in English, modern English. So, but try and represent these ideas to people. I'm called Songs from Another Life. Um, we're in the middle of making the second album. Awesome. Well, that sounds super interesting. Yeah. Great. Well, that's all my questions. Uh, you got anything else you want to add? Okay. And that's about it, I guess. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a fuck enough for people to digest for now, don't you? I do. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Okay, thank you. All right. That was Ace. Loved what he had to say about songs, man. And I'm going to go back and listen to those early bowling records. It's been a while. I'm psyched about 11 women coming out. That's September 4th. And he's doing these Instagram shows every Monday evening. That's Sydney time. And for us in the States, it's rather late. But they're, they're on Instagram TV, you know, IGTV and YouTube later on. I remember the very first one. It was when lockdown first started. Like maybe even that very day. And I just happened to catch it, you know, scrolling through. It was like midnight my time. And it was kind of like just what was needed, you know, to calm down a bit and just listen to some really good music. He did Caroline Says. Two, you know, it reminded me of what a great tune that is, man. It was stuck in my head for days. So you can follow him on Instagram. It's Steve Kilby without the vowels. So S-T-V-K-L-B-Y. In this case, Y would not be a vowel. And there's a recent video of him talking about Eric Carr choosing his kiss makeup. Which, as you may know, that subject is very dear to myself. You know, like, like what if Eddie Van Halen had joined KISS? What would his makeup have been? Would it have just been the red and white stripes of his guitar? Or would he have had to have chosen an animal, you know? What would that have been? And like on the most recent story podcast on the young Southpaw part of an hour, I'm talking about how in the 70s there were actually two star childs. You know, Paul Stanley and Gary Scheider from Parliament. 
Mothership Connection even has Star Child in the parentheses of the title. And I get diverted a bit, you know, talking about like, what if K.K. Downing from Judas Priest had joined KISS? What would his makeup have been? It's a fascinating topic. I mean, I mean, what would Steve Kilby's makeup have been if he had joined KISS? Well, I can't even begin to contemplate that one, you know? Anyway, that's on the Young Southpaw Part of an Hour podcast, which you can find at youngsouthpaw.com. There's a whole bunch of stuff up there, shows, videos, as well as at the YouTube channel. I'm, I'll be putting the video of this interview up there, too. The podcasts are all on iTunes and all those, you know. And as always, you know, subscribing, sharing, reviewing the channel and the podcast, much appreciated. So I'm going to play you out with the full recording of Josephine from 11 Women coming out September 4th. Like I said, it's a contender for my song of the year. So here's Josephine. But when you 